We are in our Kings and Kingdoms series this summer. We're going, we're working our way through some of the kings of Israel, and we are going to be looking at Ahab. Does anybody know what Ahab was famous for? There's some giggles. Yes, that means you do know what, what Ahab was famous for. Ahab was the eighth king of Israel, so let's read about him, and then we'll find out why he's so famous. 1 Kings 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Uh, he set up an altar of Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did, um, excuse me, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And there, my friends, you have it. Ahab's claim to fame, his, what he was, has gone down in history as being the most evil king in the history of Israel. Isn't that just a great way to be remembered? I, I just, that's just so fantastic. Uh, I like to describe Ahab, I don't know if I came up with this myself or if it was in a commentary, I don't know, but I like it. I like to describe him as a petulant man-child. That's how I like to describe King Ahab. He really liked to have his own way. He liked to pout when things didn't go his own way. And he just, he just was really special. And that is what I like to call him. So from now on, I hope whenever you think of King Ahab, you will think petulant man-child because that is what I think. Now you can all be there with me. You are likely also familiar with his wife, Jezebel. Uh, one commentator said that she, so Ahab is the most evil king. Uh, this commentator says that Jezebel ranks as the most evil woman in all of the Bible. Isn't that so great? That's just such a claim to fame. I'm so happy for them. Her name is synonymous with people who completely reject God. Back in the olden days, uh, a woman of questionable character would be called a Jezebel. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that. And I was just, this caused me to go down a rabbit trail. I was just really curious. So the internet told me that between 1880 and 2019, there were only 413 girls in all of the reporting countries that were named Jezebel. I just was like, I wonder who names their child Jezebel. And I'm sure there are lovely Jezebels in the world today, but there aren't a lot of sweet baby girl Jezebels running around because of the association with the name. That's just an aside. You can, you can just have that for free. I just was curious. Ahab and Jezebel were a power couple for all of the wrong reasons. A summary of their reign could go a little something like this. They introduced and allowed idol worship to flourish in Israel. Super great. They hated and killed all of the, as many of the prophets of God as they could find. And the ones they didn't kill, they just drove out also super good. They ignored truth and warnings from the prophets that they didn't kill and blamed them for whatever was going on. This one is just super special. They stole a vineyard from Naboth that was by no way in any way, even though he was the king of Israel, his to steal in any way. And he stole it by murder and deceit and just awfulness. So that's really great. Uh, they saw a, a, a drought caused by God. They witnessed the power of God come powerfully. They fought three wars where twice God rescued Ahab, but he still did not recognize God's hand and repent. Eventually, eventually Ahab did attempt a half-hearted repentance near the end of his life, but it was probably too little too late and he died in the third war of his reign. 
So just really super good things were going on in Israel during that time. The prophet Elijah, if you're familiar with him, he uh, is a player in Ahab's reign. So he was prominent in the story of Ahab. So Elijah is the one that declared a drought-induced, a God-induced drought uh, over all of Israel. And he takes on the prophets of Baal and um, a whose God can burn up an altar with fire from heaven first kind of a duel. And it's very dramatic and I encourage you to read it. Um, obviously, the god Baal failed and uh, the god of Israel showed up, consumed the altar and displayed God's power um, so those are kind of the things that are happening during Ahab's reign. Ahab was evil. Let's just, we're not going to mince words. The Bible says it, it's true. But even though he was evil, God did not abandon him. He continually displayed his power and showed up to show Ahab that God was the one, that he was the one true God. Ahab is labeled so negatively in the Bible, not because of what he did, although what he did was awful, but because he allowed foreign gods to take up residence in Israel, and he did not follow God himself. Ahab was the most evil king of Israel, not because of what he did, although that was pretty horrific, but because of what the condition of his heart was. When I was reading about Ahab, a couple of things grabbed my attention immediately, and the first we actually already read about in verse 30. It says this, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. And it's, it's that first line. He considered it trivial to commit the sins of his ancestors. He considered the sinful ways of his predecessors to be no big deal, to be no big thing. It was okay. My ancestor did it. It wasn't great, but that's okay. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it even better. He considered sin to be no big deal. It was no big deal that the kings before him did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and it was no big deal that he continued in their path. He was not concerned with sin. And that's a fatal error for a king, especially the king of Israel, as he leads the people, but it's also a fatal error for us today. Romans 12, 9 says this, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The ESV, the English Standard Version, has great descriptive language for this verse. It says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. I love that verse. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Our hearts can cling to things because we desire them. And our hearts can reject things intensely because we don't desire them. In this verse in Romans, Paul is saying, here is good and here is evil. Now, Bring your emotions and your will into conformity with what is objectively there. When you face objective evil, hate it. When you face objective good, embrace it, love it, make it part of you. We aren't supposed to just avoid evil or be aware that it exists. We are to abhor it. We are to hate it with every part of our being. It's to make us sick. It's to turn us away. And we should do everything we can to make sure evil is not a part of our lives. Ahab didn't hate sin. On the contrary, he invited it to take up residence in his life. He welcomed it with open arms. He, opened it, he welcomed it into his heart, into his home, into his country. And he reaped the consequences of that. We don't just hate evil, though. There's the other side to that. We cling, we savor, we hold fast to what is good. We cultivate a taste and a desire for what is good. You seek out good. 
And I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about holding the door for someone behind you. I'm not talking about Canadian goodness. I'm talking about, oh, is that not Canadian goodness? Oh, that was okay. <laughs> We're nice. We're good. Canadians are nice. Okay, maybe not. Anyways, I'm not talking about the Canadian niceness. I'm talking about the good things of God. I'm talking about relationship with him. I'm talking about his presence. Once you've had a taste of Jesus, can you ever really be satisfied with anything else? It's like that taste of, okay, I'm going to assume, it's like that taste of really, really good coffee. I think coffee's disgusting, but I hear a lot of you like it, so we'll go with that. It's when you've had that really, really good taste of coffee, and then I offer Matt instant coffee when we go camping, and he's like, no, thank you. It's when, for me, this is it for me. You can have your coffee, it's disgusting, whatever. But how about, have you ever gone strawberry picking in the summer in June, and the fields are hot, and they're there, and you just, you're not supposed to. So I would never do this, but I've heard other people talk about it. You just pick one off the vine, and it's warm from the sun, and you pop it in your mouth, and it is so sweet and delicious and amazing, and it's the best thing you've ever eaten. It's so good that you crave it, and you want it, and you desire it. That is what it means to desire good, to cling to what is good. Once you've had a taste of the best strawberry you can ever eat, nothing else will satisfy you. We were in Nova Scotia, and there are fields around my in-law's house that are just full of blueberries, and so we can go out and pick them anytime we want. And so anytime you want a blueberry, you just walk out the door, and then you check for, like, snakes and stuff and then you just go in and you just pick them and you put them in your mouth and they taste so much better than anything you could buy in the store that is what it is to taste and crave the things of Jesus nothing else tastes as good Psalms tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good he is good his ways are good when surrounded by darkness depression hardship all the things of life, Monday mornings when you don't want to get up and go, even in that, he is good. And you can taste and see his goodness. The things we desire contrary to God's goodness don't seem as sweet when you are surrounded by his presence day in and day out. Every day with Jesus should be like a ripe strawberry fresh off the vine or a snake-free blueberry straight from the bush. I'm not joking about the snakes, okay. Once you've had a taste of Jesus, nothing else will satisfy. Because when you've tasted the best, what else can the world offer you? And if that's not your opinion, that's where the problem comes in. We need to be on guard to never let evil and sin become trivial things in our lives like Ahab did. Proximity to the world desensitizes us to the things of God. It's just true. The more time you spend away from God, the less sensitive you are to the moving of his spirit, the less sensitive you are to the things that don't please him. Are you continually seeking a fresh experience with Jesus every day? Are you asking for new revelation from his word? Are you in his word? Are you asking him to fill your heart, your mind, your soul with desires that please him? Are you struggling with sin patterns in your life? Are you asking him to replace those sin patterns with things that please him? Ahab wasn't evil because his actions were evil. Ahab was evil because his opinion on sin and the condition of his heart were evil. Ahab as a king was a far cry from his ancestor David, King David. We talk about him quite a bit. 
King David is like, ah, the pinnacle. He is, he is life goals. He felt the weight of his sin. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect. In fact, he could have very easily gone the way of Ahab, very easily. King David made tremendous, tremendous mistakes. If you were with me last time I spoke, there was something about a lady on a roof. You can look it up for yourself. He made tremendous mistakes. But unlike Ahab, there was a condition of David's heart that he had a desire to respond to sin. When King David was confronted by his sin, this was his response in 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That was his response. Recognition of his sin. Acknowledgement of his sin. Ahab's response when the prophet Elijah came to confront him in 1 Kings 18 went a little something like this. When, a when he, Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Different responses. Elijah didn't even get the words out to tell Ahab what was going on before he was already blaming him, already upset with him, already ignoring why Elijah had even come. David was willing to hear rebuke and desire change. Ahab simply saw the man of God and blamed him before he could even speak. What is our response when the Holy Spirit nudges our heart? Are we like David or are we like Ahab? What's your response when you hear a teaching that pricks your conscience? Or have you ever been with a friend who's telling you something the Lord's been working on in your life and you're like, oh, I should, mm, I should be working on that too. Do you respond like David or you just, do you respond like Ahab? Not only did Ahab not take sin seriously, but his response to sin was just to blame everybody else. It was Jezebel's fault. It was the prophet's fault. It was the people's fault. It was everyone's fault but Ahab's fault. He chose blame over and over again instead of change. That's the work of the flesh. It's easier to blame someone else for our choices than it is to own them, to seek forgiveness and allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives to work and change us. I would 100% rather blame somebody else for my mistakes than own them myself. Is anybody else with me? It's way easier to pass the buck along than to own it. But that's immature. That's not maturity. That's not maturity as a human being, and it's certainly not maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ means recognizing our weakness, owning our mistakes before the Father, receiving, asking, receiving, and living in forgiveness a mature response we find in Psalm 51, written after King David's eyes were opened to his sin. It says in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Jump down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do those words bring peace to your soul? Because they do to mine. Every single one of us makes mistakes in life. Following Jesus does not mean we get it right all of the time. And it doesn't mean we live under constant condemnation and beating ourselves up all the time. 
it means we pray prayers very similar to this song. We recognize our mistakes. We bring it before the Lord. And we ask for change. I love this prayer. The word steadfast, you can substitute it for loyal, faithful, committed, devoted, dedicated, dependable, reliable. That's the kind of spirit of God I want living in my life. I want the constant steadfast spirit of God in my life and I want all the things that would get in the way of that to come out ask the Lord to create a spirit of joy and loyalty in your heart do you know that you could have a spirit of loyalty you could and you can ask for it the things that you're lacking in your life you can ask for them Lord I'm I'm lacking faith could you show me faith Lord I'm lacking wisdom could you could you give me wisdom? Lord, I am lacking loyalty to you and to your word. Could you bring that into my life? And those are the things that he's calling us to desire above everything else. We don't desire great worship music, although it was fantastic this morning. We don't desire great speaking, although Pastor Tracy is excellent. We desire a spirit that communes with God day in and day out that changes our hearts and our lives, that abhors evil and clings to what is good. Ahab was not evil because his actions were evil, but his heart was. I'm going to say it over and over again. Matthew 12, 34 to 35 teaches this. When Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how can, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Ahab considered sin to be no trivial thing, and it gained control over his life. What is trivial in your life today that is gaining control? There's a lot of blame in this story, if you're familiar with it, that goes to Jezebel. You, there's a lot of blame that goes to Jezebel. <laughs> She didn't follow the Lord. She was manipulative. She lived a sin-filled life. But Ahab chose her. He chose her. He was the king. Even if it was for political reasons, he chose to marry her. He chose to allow her gods into Israel. He chose to set up uh, Asherah poles. He chose to drive out the prophets of Baal. And you can blame Jezebel till the cows come home. And she has her own part to play. But Ahab chose And Elijah reminds Ahab of this. I love this so much. So after we read that verse, it said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? If you go down to verse 18, 1 Kings, it says, this is Elijah's response. I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you, your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the balls. I love that so much. I love Elijah. He's a little out there, but he just calls it for what it is. It's not my fault. It's not even Jezebel's fault. It's no one's fault but your own. You had a choice to make and you chose poorly. But I'm here and I'm going to demonstrate the Lord's power and you can choose again because the choice is never taken from you who you will choose. It exists every single day. We need to choose who we will serve, what we will allow into our lives with the discernment of the Holy Spirit and commit everything we have to follow Jesus. Elijah, in, in this passage, admonishes not only Ahab and his choices, but also the people of Israel. Elijah went before the people, 1 Kings 18.21, and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Ahab was leading the people of Israel. He was the king. He was the head. He should have been the spiritual authority in their lives. They should have been able to follow him. But they had a choice. The king was setting the tone of the nation. That's true. But each individual Israelite was responsible for their own heart, their own home, their own family, their own choices. Each individual one. There was no excuse for any of them in who they chose to serve. I feel like this passage to me feels like the Israelites were doing a little bit of hedging their bets. Like, I serve the one true God, but if I get a better deal on fish in the marketplace, then hail to Baal. I feel like that's a little bit how they were living their lives. And Elijah's saying, you cannot do that. Choose who you will serve. Choose who you will serve. Elijah's rebuke is to follow God, decide who you will serve, and serve wholeheartedly. Don't keep your foot in both worlds. That message is very true to us still today. And the people stood silently as Elijah spoke that message. And, you know, we like to judge the Israelites. I don't know how we would have done it if we were there. Maybe we would have stood silent too. Maybe we're standing silent today in the old sin in our own lives. I'm not here in judgment of the Israelites. It wasn't until God brought fire from heaven and and burned up the altar that the Israelites responded. The Israelites needed a display of God's power to acknowledge that he was God. Ahab and the people, they, they couldn't just do it on their own. They needed that huge moment of God coming down with a pillar of fire and lapping up the water and burning an altar of rock to the ground. They needed that. The Israelites didn't have access to God like we have access to God today. They needed a demonstration of God's power. They needed the prophet Elijah to come and speak on God's behalf. They needed that so they could adapt and turn. We, however, have access to Jesus in a way that the Israelites did not. We actually, every day, day in and day out, have the display of the most amazing power of God that ever existed, and that is Jesus himself. We have the ability to... Uh, live with the power of God in our hearts and lives every single day. We have the greatest miracle and demonstration of God's power. We have Jesus. We have the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have the new covenant which says, I don't need an altar. I don't need to come with fire from heaven. I don't need to come and burn up the altar because the altar is in your heart. Are you allowing me access to the altar of your heart? I will come and burn it all up, but I don't have to do it on a fiery display. I want to do it quietly in the inside. I want to burn out all of the sin from the inside out. We don't need a prophet of God to come and speak on God's behalf. We have the written word of God in our hands, on our phones. There's never more than an internet search away ever. We have the word of God in a way that no one in history has ever had it before. We don't need the prophet. We need to desire the word of God to change our lives. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to speak to us, to convict us. When we are stepping outside of God's will, the Holy Spirit was sent to be our always and forever guide. The Israelites didn't have the Holy Spirit. We have that living and breathing in us. John 14, 16 to 7 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. Because he abides in you and will be in you. 1426, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
We don't need a huge demonstration of God's power, although we welcome it anytime. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, day in and day out. The Holy Spirit lives in you, believer. He's willing to guide you every single step of every day. He's willing to transform your desires. Are you letting him? Can you hear his voice? Can you sense his leading? Do you celebrate the miracle of Jesus and his forgiveness day in and day out? Have you chosen who you will serve? Will you serve yourself like Ahab did? Ahab was deeply selfish. He probably was a narcissist before the word narcissist existed. Or will you lay down your life and serve the Savior? This message for me was, was timely, honestly. I, we, picked these, we picked these kings back in the spring, and I just picked Ahab because I don't know why. I, I just felt the Lord leading me to Ahab, and I, I didn't get a chance to dig into it until a few weeks ago. And it was timely for me to examine the things in my life. What am I welcoming into my life? What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I seeking after? What am I spending my free time doing? And this is not a message to you. This was a message to me. I love the Lord. I want to be closer to him every single day. But am I choosing things in my life that do those things? Or am I choosing distractions? I had to stop and ask the Lord again to place a desire in my heart for things that please him. And I actually asked, Lord, could you make me feel ill about things that don't please you? Could you help me see that? And he did. He revealed areas in my life like, I don't know about that, Aaron. Yeah, you're right. I need to address that. It's a little bit like that fresh strawberry off the vine. When you eat it, you can't ever imagine eating a grocery store strawberry again. Are you with me? Like it's the best thing. Or substitute whatever it is you need. If you're not with me on strawberries, that's fine. But when the season ends, those strawberries aren't available anymore. And so that's fine. You probably, if you're like me, you've sworn to yourself that you will never eat another strawberry until next June. That's just how it's going to be. But then you're trying to pack your kids' lunches and strawberries are easy and you need one for a dessert and they're on sale at Food Basics. And so, well, those ones don't look so bad. Let's pick them up. Let's just get them. And then the first time you taste them, like, yeah, they're not as good, but it'll do in a pinch. It'll do. And then you just get them next week because you got them the week before. And then you get them the week after and the week after. And soon you've forgotten how good that strawberry tasted from the field because you just continually chose second best until second best tastes as good as the best. Do you, do you hear? I hear you're with me. You see where I'm going with this. That's completely true of our walk with God. The longer we spend away from his word, away from the body of believers, away from time spent with him, the easier it becomes to be satisfied with second best and then, frankly, with nothing at all. We need to be continually seeking out the presence of God so that nothing tastes as sweet or as good and we're never satisfied. Unlike strawberry season, time with Jesus is never out of season. And a fresh encounter with Jesus is never more than a prayer away. Encounter with his word is here anytime you want it. You just have to open it. I think it's important that we remind ourselves that we need fresh encounters with Jesus. We need to choose who we will serve. And we need to make sure we are not like Ahab. That we consider sin to be a big 
deal in our lives, and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And this isn't a message of condemnation. I hope you don't feel that, because Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is forgiveness. There is grace. If you've never met Jesus, let me tell you, he came as the Son of Man for your sin, so that you could be free He came, he walked this earth, he taught, he died on your behalf. He was sinless and he took on your sin and he died so you can have a relationship with Jesus. So there is no condemnation. There is only finding Jesus, asking his Holy Spirit to fill us and walking in that today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and I want to spend some time this morning. If If you want to, the altars are open always. You can, if you want prayer, you can Come to the front rows. If you just want to spend some time with Jesus, you can just come up to the altar. No one will bother you there. But I want to spend some time this morning asking the Holy Spirit, what is in my life that I need to address? Or maybe you're saying, I need a fresh encounter with Jesus this morning. I want to make that opportunity available to you. Because as soon as you taste and see that he is good, nothing is ever going to taste as sweet. I believe that there are people that walk away from the faith that spend the rest of their lives trying to find something to fill that because nothing tastes as good as Jesus. So let's take some time this morning. Worship team's going to lead us. You can stand, you can sit, whatever posture you need. But let's ask the Lord to identify the areas in our life that we need to freshly surrender and commit Ask the Lord to desire his good and ask the Lord for a fresh encounter with him and with his Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of those who have gone before us that we can learn from. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would begin to speak to our hearts and lives the things that don't please you the places where we've tried to live in two worlds instead of just choosing to follow you. I pray, Lord, for every one of us that we would have a fresh encounter with you today and this week and every day. Lord, would you meet us so that nothing else tastes as good except for time in your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord.